Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. And this week, you can't avoid Cambridge Analytica and Facebook and Big Data and all those shenanigans. So we thought it better be the topic of our discussion this week. Facebook is huge. Um, Apparently, some um, statistics I was looking at earlier on this week said that Facebook have 2 billion or so users, which is about a quarter of the entire population of the world. And Google has at least 2.3 million searches per minute. Apple's Siri apparently handled 2 billion queries a week, and that was last year. So since we, I've got Siri, maybe it's handled a few extra, I don't know. And Amazon collects enough data that it can figure out actual purchasing intent rather than simply curating better recommendations. So what does it all mean? Big data, Cambridge Analytica, Facebook, should we be scared? Heather? What do you think? Well, as is usual with these types of things, I like to know what big data is. So rather than just be scared of big data. Then just be scared of it. Let's find out what we're scared of first. And um, bizarrely, I have a husband who works with big data. So I asked him for a definition. And it is kind of what you would expect, that there are two types of big data. One is the sort of social media mentions. And these are apparently called unstructured data because the data appears fairly randomly and all over the place. Whereas customer behaviour analysis data is much more contained. So if you've got Google Analytics, for example, you can get code so that you can see how people are interacting with your site and then use that to influence, persuade uh Inform. Uh, inform, educate, all of that stuff. Yeah. So so there are two strands to it. But but this the Facebook thing obviously has, has, has all kicked off recently. And yet when we were doing certainly I know you found the same thing, Tracy, when we were doing research for this section of the show, there was a lot of talk about this about twelve months ago. Yeah, well, all the articles about Cambridge Analytica were were from last summer. Which made me think, okay, so this is this has been rumbling on for a good while now. Why is it all come to a head? And, and we had a bit of a brainwave. We realised it was um, a whistleblower. Mm, and, mm. and I think I'm not quite sure that the general public and the the powers that be have quite caught up with what big data can mean and, and the impact of big data on society and on politics. And I think that's where, we, where we're at now is sudden, suddenly we're realising, oh, OK, so all that stuff I've put in Facebook about my political um, affiliations and my favourite music and my pets and all of those sorts of things actually is of great value to somebody. And uh, clearly in this case, it was a great value from a political point of view. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, and there have been lots of articles written, and I think the, the big thing is that this has sort of come and bitten us because we were not... Na- perhaps naively sharing this information and, you know, liking things and doing quizzes and all of those types of things in the spirit of good fun and thinking that it was a way of communicating and connecting with people who are like-minded individuals, which of course it is. But on the back of that, there's something much bigger. And I I was reading a couple of articles and there was one in The Spectator and I've just taken one line which I think sums things up from the, the, the Joe Public point of view. And the spectator says, perhaps we'd be less upset by this if Facebook correctly identified itself as primarily an ad firm rather than a socially spirited connector of humans. And I think that's where the rub is, that people feel that they've been 
they've had the wool pulled over their eyes retrospectively yeah. um, and, it, and it just changes the dynamic a bit. So would it change or has it changed your use of social media at all? Do you stop now and think, I don't want this going to a company or has it not changed your use at all? Me personally, it hasn't changed the way that I use social media. But then I, uh, I mean, I'm on social media quite a lot. And yes, I like pictures of cats and, you know, all of those types of things. And I use it for my business to a certain degree. But believe it or not, I don't share an awful lot of personal information. Now, somebody who's an expert in this will say, Heather, I could Google you and I could find out everything about you. And I'm sure that, you know, that that will that will emerge. But I haven't really changed the way that I use social media because I've always lived through social media in the way that, and I used to say when Twitter first started, it's like walking around with a T-shirt on that says, I will talk to anybody. And I don't say anything on social media that I wouldn't be pre- prepared to say in public, standing in the centre of high town or whatever so personally i haven't changed what about you have you no I, i've always um used social media with that that in mind because i've a number of friends who aren't always close friends but you know them through work and they've become friends and i've also had an eye to the fact that nothing you say on on these things is ever totally secure so mm-hmm. even if you're private instant messaging somebody i wouldn't trust that at some point that wouldn't become public knowledge so just be careful out there but I think from a a company point of view there's there's a a lot more that smaller companies can do and I think if we look on the flip side of this rather than as the consumer who's having the wool pulled over their eyes if some of the smaller companies can start to appreciate the value in in some of these Mm. transactions that they do with their customers and you know how they can use some of this what's previously been considered hard to quantify so quite a lot of qualitative data but actually if we can start to think in the same way as some of the big boys then perhaps smaller companies can start to make use of it as well just reading a quote in one of the articles that i was reading insurance companies now use something called sentiment analysis to analyze tweets And that helps them to predict heart disease and thus improve claim targeting. Wow, okay. And that's from a tweet. Yes. So I I, I think there's so much more that if a company just starts to think, even with the individual interactions, things that your customers are buying from you on a regular basis, rather than just seeing it as a single transaction and then it's done, perhaps you might want to look and see if there's patterns or things that you can... That's how Amazon have that made their billions they've analyzed the transactions and viewing history of customers and everybody's got their own individualized personalized amazon recommendations and homepage. the same with netflix they're so popular and and they're so good with their data that every single person has got a unique page on netflix there's not one standard page on netflix they're all completely consumer driven and I think you're right. And I don't think any any of us are whiter than white. I mean, I'm a sole trader. I'm a trainer. Yes, I've shared and liked and reposted um, courses that I've been running at a time in a group to an audience that I think might be interested in booking a place on one of my courses. So that's that's kind of the same thing. It's just not on a super duper massive scale. Yeah. But I w- again, I was reading an article in The Week, uh, which is a great publication, actually, because it gives you bite-sized bits of everything that's been going on in the week before. We get The Week Junior at home. Oh, oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know there was a junior. That's yeah. fantastic. OK, so it's it, yeah, it's a great read because it's just enough and you can go off and find out a bit more if you want to. Um, but they were just using the example of a restaurant in the States. And one thing 
that was really interesting was that the, the restaurant started to identify that once upon a time people would walk in, have a meal, walk out, and that would be the end of it. But gradually, as we capture more and more information, and we can look at what those people order and what they like and whether they tend to come in when it's raining or when it's sunny or whether they tend to only come in on a weekend or whether they're, you know, looking for a Tuesday night bargain or whatever. And all of those things, seemingly fairly small pieces of information, you can be used massively to improve and attract people. So there's something there for all of us. And I think that, you know, if we do enough research, small business can benefit from from big data. You're listening to the business community on Calon FM. Now, Heather's been doing quite a bit of research into events. You've got some chunky events that you've gone to large mention. on events. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, what what have you got on your list this week, well, Heather? Well, I thought because we know quite a lot about some of the smaller events that are happening locally and where to look for them, so I thought I'd look a bit a bit further afield. Uh, so, I've got three. I've got the Financial Times UK Business Conference, which is happening on the twenty fourth of May in Manchester. Now, this. I mean, this looks like a serious, a serious event, if I may say so. And I have, I'm planning to go. Uh, Ticket prices uh, go from £299 plus VAT um, if you're an SME, right the way up to £900 plus VAT if you're um, a service provider of some kind. But this really is starting to look at uh, what, what Brexit and what is happening post-Brexit for the northern powerhouse, you know, the, the northern part of the country. Uh, I'm looking at things from a non-London-centric point of view. Uh, speakers, they have uh, the Parliamentary Undersecretary, Jake Berry. Uh, we've got Sarah Glendinning, who's Regional Director of the CBI. We've got a guy who I haven't come across before, whose name is, and I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly, Jürgen Meyer, who's Chief Executive of Siemens. So we've all heard of Siemens. And then uh, Bridget Rosewell, OBE, who's Commissioner for National Infrastructure Commission uh, and Senior Advisor at Volterra Partners. So they are going to be looking very much at what happens in the North post-Brexit. And, yeah, it looks it looks really interesting in a kind of dull kind of a way, but I think it's one of those events that it's it's really going to um, the reason I'm going is because it's going to tell me what I need to be thinking about. And okay, it might not affect me as a sole trader, but it's going to affect my clients, and that's what I need to I need to know a bit more about. And hopefully, you'll give us a, a nice little uh, review of it. I will indeed. Yes, yeah. I will indeed. I will indeed. Uh, beyond that, then going into June, and I'm flagging this up because. Um, we need to plan these things into our diaries the 2018 international business festival taking place in liverpool it runs from june the 12th to june the 28th tickets are much more affordable here it's 50 pounds per day or 105 pounds for all nine days and this is looking at global business as you might expect and um, the topics that are covered are in week one globally global economics urbanisation and cities and sustainable energy. Week two is um, future transport, manufacturing, global logistics and shipping. And week three, health and life science, creative industries and sport, culture and travel. So there are something for everyone. Something for everyone. And there are loads of workshops and, um, and, and, and talks. So I just thought that looked really interesting. And then fitting in with some of what we've already been talking about today is the national cyber security, uh, centres cyber uk 2018 and this is 
um, organised by the National Cybersecurity Centre as part of GCHQ. And it is it's expensive. It's over a thousand pounds to attend, but it's a, it's a truly interactive um, event. It's in Manchester again. And it says, why attend? You'll hear from thought leaders, ministers, technology leaders or others with interesting and relevant messages to give. You can meet leaders from across the sector. You can take part in challenging and thought provoking provoking content. Um, you can learn from government industry, academia and the critical national infrastructure connect with public sector participants uh, and enjoy a mix of plenary talks, themes, streams, tracks and lightning talks. It it, it looks it looks like again loads of stuff it's almost probably going to pose more questions than it does answers but i think in the light of what we've just been talking about well worth if if you're running a business of any size i think that would be money well spent i've just got one event this week and it's uh, organized by an organization that's only just recently uh, come into my uh, awareness and it's the prince's responsible business network and they've got a program called business in the community BITC and BITC Cymru's community conversations is is the thing that I noticed is happening here at Glindo University on the 9th of May and I, I believe you're going are you I have booked my ticket yes it is a free event it is free and it runs from 12 till 3 and it's um, an opportunity for employers and community organizations to highlight issues affecting their communities uh, and BITC say that speaking directly with their communities and businesses, they can get to know about the area, how they operate, and understand how they can help them to change things for the better. So this conversation is Wednesday the 9th of May. The reason I saw it was there were some tweets about some earlier ones where people were saying how good it was and then saying looking forward to going to Wrexham. So I, I found it in that oblique reference, really. So I'm, I'm glad I did. And Heather, I'm, I'm sure you'll give us some good feedback when you, when you get yes, back from another that. review, yeah. Um, if you want to book, you can go to the website, which is bitc.org.uk. Uh, there's a telephone number there. There's a link to book. But I'll put the link for it on our website and the link to all of the events that Heather's mentioned. And the website is thebusiness.community. Now, Heather chose the subject that we're going to review this week. So I'm going to pass over the baton to you <gasps> because it's an app or, you know, an app, a bit of software. And um, it's normally me that chooses the software that we're going to look at. So I'm quite intrigued to find out how you've got on using LastPass. Right. OK, well, LastPass, if you haven't already heard about it, is um, an app that remembers your passwords for you effectively um, and encrypts them at, at, at your end of things so that, that, that your risk is, is minimised. And my husband's been using it for quite some time. And as we've already said, he's involved in big data. He's involved in big data, so he's very important. But but more to the point, I think he got a little bit fed up of me always forgetting my passwords <laughs> and then saying to him, what's my password for Amazon? Or what's my password for this? Or what's my password for that? So finally, we decided that it would probably be a good idea if I tried to use LastPass. And once I got my head around it... Uh, it's it's fine you know as a single user that's absolutely fine you can use it for business as well because it's one thing me having to remember my own passwords but if you if you're in a company or in a business and you've got various people using a, a single account on all sorts of different things whether it's a courier or whether it's not banking but you know whatever it might be 
getting people to remember the passwords must be a blooming nightmare. And for me, where it all falls apart is when they say, oh, you've got to change your password after a certain amount of time. Oh. And I, <laughs> you know, then... I think so many people, it can't be a password you've had before. It's yes. going to have a lowercase, an uppercase, a number, a symbol. And it just gets a <gasps> bit, it gets a bit much. So, um, so yeah, pass, last pass is great. I'm using the free version. Uh, you can upgrade. Is that just a trial or, or can you have the free version um, ad infinitum? No, ad infinitum. Um, they say that you have to upgrade, well, you don't have to. If you upgrade to premium, uh, you get some additional functionality, but I don't think it's actually relevant for me. It's no. in, it's storage of What of I was data. reading was a lot of the stuff that used to be paid for, they've actually put into the free version now yes. anyway. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, unless, as you say, you're, you're a business or you've got any other particular security requirements, the free version is very good. Mm. I came across an article in Li uh, on Lifehacker where they were looking at the best password managers and LastPass was mentioned there. Uh, and... The business rate, as, as I've just alluded to, if you've got less than 50 employees, it's only two, two and a half dollars a month per team user. But then they also do an enterprise version, which is four pounds a month per user. But that is that's coping with organizations with more than 50 employees and therefore it's going to be much more complex. But in the article, they one thing that they mentioned, I mean, all of them are much of a muchness and it, they talk about what um, what platforms they support etc etc but um they'd got reviews from people who've been using them and that they say many of you praise LastPass's own security for keeping your data safe and for on that one occasion they thought they may have been hacked they promptly locked everyone's data down uh, made sure they were in the clear and then encouraged users to take additional steps to protect themselves so as it was it wasn't a breach of of security but they were all over it at the first hint of there being a problem yes i have to say that when i first heard of these things i i automatically started to think well isn't that less secure because you've got one password mm. now instead of 30 and if LastPass get hacked then presumably your data is more um vulnerable but reading about it actually i, I can now understand it so LastPass don't hold your passwords it's a um a way of encrypting your passwords and you have the encryption on your own computer mm, mm. so um they also offer something called two-factor authentication which a lot of things are going for now where it will send a text or, or a phone call to you so that you can put a code in and uh, they you know they're constantly updating their encryption algorithms so if you're logging into some other software that perhaps isn't taking security quite as seriously, you get that extra security through LastPass as well. So I'm a bit of a convert. I've signed up for it. Mm -hmm. So far, all I've done is added my Facebook uh, account onto there, but given a little bit more time and a bit more feedback from you, Heather, as to how you're finding it. Are you? Do you use it just on the browser? Do you use it on your phone? Have, have you got different platforms? I have it on, on my phone, which is an iPhone, and I also have it on my PC. So every time, if, if I go to a website and I put in uh, a password, LastPass pops up and says, do you want us to remember the password for this this site? Uh, so it, it works. Once I got my head around it, and I think that's the, the challenge when you get to my age, you know, I got my head around it and then it makes sense. Okay, so to be fair, we, we should mention a few others. There are mm -hmm. other password managers available. So I did a quick search for password managers similar to LastPass and I got um, one password, which is the number one and then password. 
KeyPass, which is KEE Pass, uh, RoboForm, Clippers with a Z at the end, not an S, Dashlane, and Sticky Password. Did you come up with any others, Heather? Uh, no, um, I don't think I did, but the one that I was going to give a mention to, not because it means anything to me, but my husband and friends are very interested in open source um whatever that is and so <laughs> so if you are into open source then keypass.info is probably the one for you to look at now from my point of view not a terribly attractive platform when you're when you're looking at the interface but if that's what floats your boat, then that might be the one for you to have I a look at. I guess if you know what open source means and, and why. it means something to you, then maybe key pass. So that's KWE pass. Yeah. And um, that might be of interest to you. Moving swiftly on. <laughs> so you, you'll give us a bit of feedback in a couple of weeks and let us know how you get on with that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. While I was looking at LastPass, I, I also came up with some hints and tips as to um, ways to protect yourself. Now, there's been quite a bit of stuff on social media that I've seen where people have been f called by somebody pretending to be from HM Revenue and mm -hmm. Customs. And so the, I think HM Revenue and Customs, you know, around the tax year end and stuff like that, it's always prime time to try and, and, and to, to get people to do something that really they shouldn't be doing. So um, the six ways to protect yourself. Um, I'll just go through this list. Don't take the bait and get fished. So, you know, look for the telltale signs in an email. And if you're unsure, forward the email. Most banks, most serious software um, applications will have uh, an anti-phishing email address that you can send it to. Just take a look at their website. And before you respond to that email or click any links in it, you can send it to them and they'll let you know whether it's a valid email address or not. There's a term that I hadn't heard before, which is vish, vishing. Don't get vished. And vishing means voice phishing. And this is the thing that's just been in social media at the moment, which is having a conversation on the phone. All I would say at that point is remember, HM Revenue and Customs don't phone you. Everything's done in writing. So don't get taken in. If you're unsure, if somebody phones you, I've had this before with the bank and they phoned me about um, sus suspicious activity. And I'm like, actually, you phoning me is quite suspicious. So actually, I'm going to ring the number that I've, I've got, yeah. not the number that you give me, the number that I've already got, and I'll phone you back. Also, another reminder here is don't use the public wi-fi network for sensitive you know don't log into your bank using the public wi-fi network and things like that make it sure you do it from your home wi-fi um use smart and secure passwords yep. for every account make sure you read your credit card and bank statements which i i have to say from a personal point of view has saved me from a couple of um, attempts at um, fraud on my account it was only because i look at my bank statements every day and why wouldn't you if you can get the app on your phone you can just flick through every day just to make sure there's no untoward transactions and then shred stuff and get a crosscut shredder not one of these ones that just makes long loopy bits because that can be put back together and also takes up more room in your when you're recycling mm -hmm. so some ways to protect yourself have a go at password protection software and uh and heather we look forward to hearing how you get on with LastPass. i will let you know how it goes 
Normally at this part of the show on the business community, we discuss a business guru or a famous entrepreneur. But this week we've decided to focus on the Prince's Trust. As you may know, if you've listened to previous shows or to Talking Business, then you'll know that I've been a mentor with the Prince's Trust for a number of years and part of their enterprise programme. So Heather interviewed a representative from the Prince's Trust this week and uh, she's here now to talk about the enterprise programme with Heather. We're joined in the studio today by Michelle Gunn from the Prince's Trust. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. You are Enterprise Outreach Executive at the Prince's Trust, is that right? Yes, that's right. What does that mean? So my role is to go out into the community and engage with organisations who uh, work with our um, target group um, and sort of promote the self-employment programme, our enterprise programme, to young people um, who might be interested in, in setting up a business or have an idea that they want to explore. And I go out and speak to them about that and um, let them know the support that we can offer. Okay, now the Princess Trust, some people might have heard of it, some people might not have heard of it. So in a nutshell, what does the what is the Princess Trust and what does it do? Okay, yeah, we get this quite a lot actually. A lot of people say that they know, um, they've heard of the Princess Trust but they don't really know about a lot of what we do. So we're a youth employment charity and we are all over the UK. Um, in Wales, we have offices based in Cardiff, um, Rill and Llangenich and we aim to support young people between the ages of 16 to 30 back into employment, education or into another positive outcome, whether it be um, volunteering or um, sort of getting onto any other course that they might be interested in as well. Okay, all right. So we're up here in Wrexham in uh, North Wales. Your office is based in South Wales, is that right? You've travelled up today? That's right, yep. So I'm based in Cardiff, but my role is all over Wales. I'm Pan Wales, so I'm up in North Wales quite a lot. And we do have an office in, in Rail as well. Um, so we have uh, quite a few staff working out of the office there. So we've got a good, a good footing in North Wales. So could you give me... A typical example of the type of person that you might be working with as part of the enterprise programme uh, and what journey you would take them on. What, what's the plan? How does it work? So the enterprise programme, um, as I mentioned, we support young people who want to look into self-employment if they have a business idea. And we work with 18 to 30 year olds who are um, not in employment or they're underemployed, which means working less than 16 hours a week. Um, or if they're not in education or training and we can support them with any business ideas that they have um, through offering a workshop, um, grant and loan funding and also mentoring support as well. So if they have a business idea, is it an idea that they have to come up with themselves or do you help them to tap into things that they might be good at? Um, to be honest, most people who come on the programme have an idea that they'd like to explore, but it's not unheard of that we have people who just perhaps are interested in self-employment. They don't necessarily have an idea, but they'd just like to learn a bit more about self-employment. And so we, we absolutely encourage those people to come on our course and, and learn more about it. Um, they might have um, a sort of idea then and there of uh, what type of um, self-employment that they'd like to go into and that's definitely something that we can support them with so um, I'd absolutely encourage anybody who um, even if you don't have an idea but would like to learn a bit more about it please come on our course and do that and it's completely free as well so um, it wouldn't cost anything for the person to come and find out. If they come on a workshop uh, and they they identify that you know they want to move forward and they want to to look at setting up a business 
Do you just set them off into the big bad world and say, get on with it? Or do you offer additional support? How does that work? So what happens, I'll sort of start from the beginning. Um, basically, we invite the young person to come onto our workshop. That is a four-day course, and we run them in Wrexham. Um, and that is an opportunity then to learn for the young person to learn about uh, what's involved with setting up a business. Um, so we deal with everything, marketing and selling, what type of spender the young person is, um, how to deal with the tax man, your insurance expenses, and we help start having a look at business plans as well. So um, quite thorough. Um, what we can co- we cover quite a lot in four days. Uh, we also give the give the young person a workbooklet to work throughout the course. Um, and once they've finished that, they can send that off and apply for a level one enterprise qualification which I think just looks really good on a CV even if you don't go into self-employment it shows that it's something that you've considered to your to your potential employer um, so following from the four-day course um, the young person will then get one-to-one sessions with either um, one of our mentors or with one of our program delivery executives and they'll have a look at the idea and decide which direction they want to go in We can offer then at that stage um, a small pot of funding, a small non-repayable grant to help the young person um, test trade their idea and just really make sure that it's uh, a viable idea and and that it will work going forward. So, And that's non-repayable as well, so it's just a really good opportunity to to find out if your business is viable. Um, We offer loads of support with a business plan as well. We've got a really cool booklet, really colourful, makes the business plan really digestible. It includes what needs to be included and what needs to not, not be included. Obviously, everybody's ideas are a bit different, so we can tailor the support in that sense. Um, That support can last for about up to a year. Normally, it'll only be three to six months, but there is a year's worth of support there. When the young person is then ready with their business plan, um, they will go to a small launch panel, um, present their idea, um, and that's sort of that's their official sort of ceremony, as it were, that they've that they've set up and launched their business. Um, and then they can also apply for up to five thousand pound startup loan and two years mentoring support. Um, the mentoring support side of the program is my favourite bit, and I think that is the reason why so many of the businesses that we support are so successful. So we have a huge bank of volunteers um, who who dedicate their time to working with the young person, and it just it provide. Um, provide support for up to two years after the business has launched for that young person. So if they're having any problems or if they need any advice, um, they can work with their mentor and, and just make sure that their business stays as successful as possible. Um, it's about 76% of businesses um, who who start up through the enterprise programme are still trading after two years. So some really good success rates. That's a fantastic success yeah. rate. So that was Heather speaking to Michelle Gunn from the Prince's Trust. And Heather, I think you'll agree, those um, success rates for the enterprise scheme are absolutely amazing. Yeah, 76%, just phenomenal. Yes, it just... It was, it was great to speak with her and it was great to hear about the work that they're doing locally. It's fantastic. And we'll put links for the Prince's Trust on our website, which is thebusiness.community. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. Music.